Hey. Hey, welcome to Rocky Peak. If this is your first time, special welcome to you. My name is Dre. I'm one of the pastors here. How did you enjoy your beautiful beach perfect day of Saturday yesterday, right? So, rain people, are you rain people in here? It's it's the matter with you. It's July. But here's I'm not I'm not particularly a rain person myself, but here's what's endlessly entertaining to me when it does rain, is how we that live in Southern California, we, we like bring down social media with pictures, don't we? Like, what is this? What is coming from the sky? And people that didn't grow up in SoCal are like, what are you talking about? This is nothing. That's, en- that's never not going to be entertaining to me. Hey, so if uh, when you came into service this morning, you got a program. If you'd open that up, inside your program is a message note sheet, which is going to be a great too to help you follow along. I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Father, I'm grateful for that song we just sang, Lord. I'm grateful for that declaration that we as a people, we as your disciples, we as your church, we are committed to drawing closer to you. Father, when we get closer to you, we see more of your awesome, how awesome you are, see more of your depths more of your love, more of your grace, more of your encouragement, more of your hope, Jesus. I pray that that be the mark of us as worshipers, that we worship Jesus by drawing closer to him in everything we do, whether in this place or any other. Father, as we open up your word, as we're changed by the life and the words that are in it, I pray that I as a speaker become less. I pray that you as our ultimate savior become much, much more. We love you, Jesus, in your son's name. Amen. Hey, so again, if you're joining us for the first time, and I not only want to welcome you again, but I want to take just a few moments to bring you up to speed into the series we've been in. So like they would on television previously at the Church of Rocky Peak, since about the beginning of this year, we've been in a series called Epic Living the Vision. Now, this series is actually the second in a two-part series that's been taking us through the New Testament letter written to the Ephesians. Now, the letter to the Ephesians was written by a man that we call the Apostle Paul. He wrote this letter about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he's writing this letter to Christ followers who are living in and around a major city in the ancient Roman Empire, the city of Ephesus, which is now in what we would call modern-day Turkey. Now, Paul is doing two distinct things in his letter. In the first half of his letter, what he's doing is he's sharing God's epic vision for his creation, how we were a rebellious race, yet despite that, God the Father sent his one and only son into this very world to heal and restore us so that we could become the people we were originally created to be. Now in the second half of the letter, which has been the focus of this series, Paul gets really practical. He's teaching us how do we take this epic vision and learn to live it in the here and now of our everyday daily lives. And over the last several weeks, we have been focused on seven verses, a small section in chapter five. And what these, and, and these seven verses have covered a number of important topics that all fall under the unifying theme of the will of God. What is God's will. How do we as Christ followers discover it, experience it, and walk within that will? And how do we learn God's both generic and specific will for our lives? Mike, a couple of weeks ago, introduced the metaphor of we experience the will of God when we drink deeply of the Holy Spirit. 
And if you remember how he defined that as drinking deeply to the Holy Spirit means learning how to listen, learning how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives because the Holy Spirit will always lead us to experience more of the will of God. And so Paul, in this, in, in this focus that we've been in, has been, share, has been showing us characteristics of what it looks like to live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to be looking at the next characteristic Paul talks about, which is that a life filled with the Holy Spirit, a life that is drinking deeply, is one that is marked by an attitude of gratitude. And so let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. And if you're following along in your note sheet, you've got a section titled, Drinking Deeply, Giving Thanks. And so Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be starting at verse 15 at the beginning of this section, just to do a quick recap. And starting at verse 15, the apostle writes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So as we stop right there, just to recap, this is Paul's big picture statement. If you remember, as Mike has taught through this passage, he reminds us that in the Greek, that word live can also be translated to the word walk. And so Paul is, Paul is painting a common biblical picture that life is a journey with many possible paths. Many of those paths lead to death and destruction, but the path towards Jesus leads to life and a life to the full. And so Paul is asking a very important question. Are you intentional about how you choose to live your life? Are you living your life on purpose? What is the priority in your life? And again, in his big picture statement in those verses, the priority of our life should be to continue to discover and live within the will of God. And so, as Paul transitions from being big picture, he now begins to paint what specific pictures of what that looks like. What does it look like for a Christ follower to be living within the will of God? What does it look like to be a Christ follower who is drinking deeply of the leading of the Holy Spirit? And he goes on in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So if you remember two weeks ago, we tackled this, that Paul is not making an indictment against alcohol itself, but he's talking about the abuse of it or any substance. And the bottom line issue is control. Are you willing to give something that's not Jesus' control in your life? Rather, give the Holy Spirit the control of your life. And then he moves on to the next verse, verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. This is what Mike touched on last week. We that are filled with the Spirit are worshipers. We worship in our actions, we worship in our decisions, but we also worship through song. We give praise. Isn't it an amazing truth that a requirement to go to heaven is not that we be good singers, but we are encouraged to sing because we have an amazing God. And so we've seen these core characteristics that Paul paints out of a life that is drinking deeply. One, God is in control of your life and not a substance or anything else. Two, you are a worshiper. By worshiping, you are acknowledging that God is the king and I submit to his amazing leadership. And now he's going to give us a third characteristic of what it looks like to live a life filled with the Spirit. And that's our focus today, verse 20. Verse 20. 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Christ Jesus. And this is a powerful phrase for many, many reasons. See, this is not a throwaway phrase. Paul is not writing, oh, be thankful because it's cute or it sounds churchy or it'd be the right thing you do. But in line with the other things he does, Paul is writing this phrase, always giving thanks, living a life that is marked by gratitude because Paul is teaching us that this is a core characteristic of a life that is drinking deeply of the Holy Spirit. And while it's only one verse, it exemplifies what I love about Scripture, that there is a lot of depth there. And so as we look at verse 20, there are three specific things I want to highlight about this verse. The first one is that this verse is one of many in Ephesians and one of many in the entirety of Paul's writings where he talks about living a life marked by thankfulness. See, earlier in this chapter, as an example, in verse 4 of chapter 5, when Paul is talking about Christ followers, let our speech not be filled with obscenities, let us not give in to coarse joking and things along those lines, but rather replace it with thanksgiving. In your note sheet, I put two examples that we've talked about at other points in this series of Paul talking about living a life marked with thanks. The first is out of Colossians. Colossians very much is considered the sister letter to Ephesians that you see a lot of these teachings paralleled. And in Colossians chapter 3, the apostle writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Jumping down to verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A couple of weeks ago, Mike quoted this verse from 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I've mentioned this before from up here, we see in Paul's writings that there are certain topics that he will repeat himself on intentionally. And I like to think of it in a parental sense. Parents, if you repeat something to your children over and over again, the message you're trying to send to your children is that this is a core value, isn't it? And so when Paul repeats himself on certain topics, the way I like to look at it, it's as if Paul is putting neon lights around it and saying, this is a big deal. And the reason why that's important for us as a room full of adults is similar to however many weeks ago when we talked about greed, that for us as adults, there's a temptation to dismiss a teaching on gratitude as kid stuff. This is what our kids are watching in their, in, on Sesame Street. This is what they get taught at VBS, right? Be thankful, be a thankful person. There we go. I'm an adult. Give me something meatier. Give me something more. But I want to highlight that Paul repeats this often because he's telling us Christ followers do not dismiss this teaching because this is a core characteristic of life in the Spirit. We cannot grow and thrive in our walk with God if we are not adopting an attitude of thankfulness. That's the first thing I wanted to highlight in this passage. The second thing I want to highlight, if you look back at verse 20, is the frequency with, with which Paul tells us to give thanks. What's that word that he uses? Always. Pretty clear. I don't need to go into the Greek for that one, do I? 
always, continually, regularly. You know what I love about this passage is what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, hey, give thanks when you feel like it. It doesn't say, hey, give thanks only when life is doing well and you're winning at life. Hey, give thanks when your circumstances give you a bunch of reason to give thanks. It says always give thanks. See, the apostle is teaching us in this verse that giving thanks is not a finite act. It's not something we do once a year in November. It's not something we do every so often. It is our life. Now, if I'm honest with you, and why shouldn't we be? We're friends. I have a hard time with the word, in ev- with the phrase, in everything. Because, I don't know about you, but there are definitely some times in my life where the last thing I want to do is give thanks. Or the last thing I feel like I want to do is give thanks. What does Paul mean about those times? He, surely he can't mean that, Right? Now, we're going to unpack that further, but I want to acknowledge that that question is there. Now, the third thing I want, to, I want to highlight in this passage is the fact that Paul is not calling us to a fake thank, attitude of thankfulness. Let me tell you what I mean. I've, I mentioned Thanksgiving a little bit earlier. Think, put yourself back in one of your Thanksgiving dinner experiences. There are many people here that have an awesome tradition at Thanksgiving, that once everybody is seated at the table, you go around and you say what you're thankful for, right? And if you've been in those situations, it's pretty easy to tell when people share whether they're genuine or they're just faking it, right? Because the people that are genuine, you see it in their body language, you see in their emotion, they have specific, I'm so grateful for this, I'm grateful for you, I'm grateful for this. And the people that are faking it usually speak in generalities, usually don't make eye contact, and usually are just trying to sound like they're saying the quote, right thing. They're usually like, well, I'm really thankful, you know, thankful for family, and, you know, I'm thankful for for the stuffing, and I'm thankful for air, and, and all of that. And sometimes when we hear that as Christ followers, we're called to live a life of gratitude, we kind of think that it's putting on this mask of the sugary Christian that never has bad days, and it's not rooted in anything real. That's not what we're being called to. We are being called to have a genuine lifestyle of gratitude that is rooted in the truth that we have the ultimate reason to be thankful, and that is the salvation we have in the Son of God, Jesus. See, if you look back at verse 20, Paul says that we give thanks for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a phrase that we've used in church contexts before, right? It's an awesome phrase that we do things in the name of Jesus. We close out prayers in the name of the Lord, in the name of your son, in Jesus' name. We declare truths, biblical truths. I declare this to be true in Jesus' names. We renounce lies. That is not true. What the enemy is trying to tell me about my worth is not true in the name of Jesus. There's power in that And what it means to do something in the name of someone is that you are invoking what they stand for and you are remembering what they have accomplished. So in the case of Jesus, what does he stand for? What has he accomplished? Salvation. Restoration. Healing. Hope. Purpose. 
And so when Paul is saying we are to live a life of gratitude, it is because we have been saved and restored in the work of Jesus. When you hear of that phrase, I do this in the name of the king, so to speak, it makes me think of medieval literature and medieval stories. Often you would see people, I come in the name of my king. Well, Paul is saying that as Christ followers, we live our lives in the name of the king of kings. And we acknowledge his salvation. And so, as I think about this passage, what it does in my head is it paints a beautiful picture that helps me understand the importance of gratitude. If you've ever been to a wedding of Christ followers, something that is often an element that you will commonly see is that at some point, usually after the vows or after the rings have been exchanged, what will happen is that these Christ followers will take communion as part of their wedding. And usually the officiant will say something that the bride and groom as their first act as a married couple have chosen for it to be an act of worship. And I was saying that's such an amazing picture because they are worshiping by giving thanks for what Jesus has done in their lives. They are worshiping by remembering that God is the foundation of their, of their marriage. And now through that act of communion, their marriage is being built on a foundation of gratitude. And it makes me think of our journeys as Christ followers. Before you came to Jesus, do you remember what your identity was? You were a sinner. You were damned. You were darkness itself, if you remember Paul talking about that earlier. The very last act we committed as sinners was dropping down to our knees and asking for forgiveness. When Jesus came into our lives and healed us of our sin and created us and called us sons and daughters, our very first act as his restored creation was one of gratitude. And there's power in that picture because that is now the foundation for our new life with him. See, Paul brings this up in the section of Ephesians because he wants us as Christ followers to understand the importance of what it means to live a life filled with gratitude. And so like the apostle often does in his writings, he takes a word or a concept that we think we know and he redefines it in a much bigger way, doesn't he? And so that's our passage, but what I want to do with the time we have left is I want to unpack this idea of what does it look like to live a life of gratitude. So there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled, Drinking Deeply, A New View of Gratitude. And your first fill-in is this, giving thanks is our lifestyle. Giving thanks is our lifestyle. If you want to grow at something in life, if you want to get better at something in life, if you want to grow deeper with relationships or with certain things in life, it doesn't happen if you just interact with it every once in a while, does it? We grow by doing things regularly. If I picked up a baseball bat once or twice a year, and every time I picked up that baseball bat, I swung at two to three pitches, and I walked around and said, now I'm ready for the major leagues, that would be absurd, wouldn't it? If I picked up a guitar once or twice a year, strummed it for five to ten minutes, and told people that one day I'm going to make millions of dollars on tour because people are going to come to listen to my amazing G chord, that's not going to fly, is it? 
if I drove to the gym once every 10 years, because it's me, and rather than going in, I just sat in the parking lot, watched other people go in, worked up a sweat just from seeing that, and went home, and then wondered, why am I not getting any stronger or healthier? Again, the response would be, that's absurd. We don't get better at anything. We don't grow at anything. We don't add depth to anything, particularly relationships, if we do it just once in a little while. See, the aim of Paul in all of his writings is he's trying to show to Christ followers that when it comes to our journey with God, when it comes to walking with him, when it comes to embracing our role as a disciple, that is not something we do every so often. That is who we are and we live it out regularly. Paul is all about taking all these things we put in the finite, blowing that box up and showing that this is now our lifestyle. Over the last couple of months, I've introduced a phrase to us where I say Paul is charging us to, to acknowledge, are we embracing our faith or are we faking it? Do you remember that? See, when we fake our faith, then what happens is living this out, putting action, worshiping, drinking deeply of the spirit, if it happens at all, it happens very occasionally. And I've mentioned this before, that in that lifestyle, it's a temptation to view Jesus as something we cross off a list. I prayed today, and now I'm done. I don't have to think about it anymore. I went to church this weekend. I worshiped, and now I'm done. I don't need to worship. I don't need to think about it until next weekend rolls around. With my life group, I served with our, day, with our service project. I did it. Now I'm done for the year. We view these as finite things that we check off, but the reality is that when we embrace our faith, as Paul is calling us to do, what we realize is these actions, these disciplines, these habits, these are not things we do, but they become core parts of our new identity in Jesus. I don't pray because it's something to cross off the list. We as Christ followers, now we pray. Because of Jesus, we now have unrestricted access to our creator. We can communicate with him at any point of our day. Good times, bad times, exciting times, boring times. We can talk to him and in that we acknowledge his presence everywhere we go. As Christ followers, I don't go to church. I am the church. We are the church. Church is not a building we arrive to and we leave from it. Because of Jesus residing in us, which is the definition of temple and church, when we leave this place, church is going to happen on the drive wherever we go. Church is going to happen at the Habit or Islands. Church is going to happen when you go home with your family. Church is going to continue to happen at Target because you are now the church where God dwells. You don't simply serve to cross something off a list. We now serve because we model the, the character of Jesus and Jesus is a servant leader. Therefore, now we are servants to reflect that. Do you see how that works? That's the difference between embracing it and faking it. That's the difference between that key word lifestyle and every so often. And as we tie this into the subject of gratitude, Paul is calling us to embrace a lifestyle of thanksgiving 
Because as he teaches us, it is more than a finite act. It is now a core part of who you are. So embrace your new identity. And there's a lot of power in that. Because when Jesus comes into our lives and he makes us brand new, he makes us radically different from the world around us. And this lifestyle of gratitude definitely is different. Because the truth is, sin being a part of our world wrecked everything. And one of the ways that sin wrecked our world is that it created a world that is filled with ingratitude. It created a world that is filled with people that approach everything in life, relationships, jobs, religious aspects, where nothing is good enough for me. It's created a world filled with people that are entitled. And you know what the sad truth is? But the honest truth that we need to talk about is that we have brought that culture into the church. We've created this subsection of Christianity that I affectionately call Christian curmudgeons. These are the people that will never miss a service, but look absolutely miserable every time they're there. (laughs) These are the people that, when it comes to church, when it comes to their faith, their attitude is their arms are crossed, their eyes are rolling, there's something wrong with everything. They roll their eyes at a call to action They very much approach life with a Jesus is so lucky he has me attitude. (laughs) And it seems like nothing is ever going to satiate them. And we may laugh and we may poke fun, but this is a stereotype that we need to change. Because to a world that doesn't know Jesus, we are a reflection of Jesus. And when they see us as Christ followers being bitter, angry, curmudgeons, then they're going to not only sit there and go, why would I want to go to church and be surrounded by more of you, but why would I want anything to do with your Jesus if he's like that? Hey, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, please walk away with this. You are not called to be a curmudgeon. You weren't. See, so much of our sin in life is rooted in ingratitude, isn't it? So much of our sin, we find our root in ingratitude. Why deserve this? Or they should know that they're wrong and all of this going in and we feel like it gives us free reign to commit other sins of anger and slander and bitterness because why not? Because I'm right as we go in. And what Paul is trying to do to combat that. As Paul is saying, Christ follower, don't focus on what you perceive that you don't have, but focus on the truth that you have been given by God the Father, the ultimate thing, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. Focus on that, and that will be the source of your gratitude. And that actually leads me to your second fill-in, which is this. We can regularly give thanks because we are always blessed. We can regularly give thanks because we are always blessed. One of my favorite things about reading Paul's words is that he often takes something I think I know or something I've learned about in the past and he supernaturally because it's the word of God he always paints a much bigger picture 
And when I experience that bigger picture, I often sit there and go, whoa. Because when we see something we knew and something that we loved in a bigger way, it stops us in our tracks and it's encouraging, isn't it? I can illustrate it this way. My absolute favorite place in the world is Manhattan, is New York City. There's people that love nature. I love hustle and bustle. I love cities. And I'm fascinated by it. Yes, it's hot and it smells like urine, but I love it. (laughs) And I love... And one of my favorite things about New York City is the buildings. I can just, I, I've, I joke all the time, I'm not a physical human being. And when I'm in New York, all I want to do is walk for miles on end because I just want to look at the buildings and the architecture, and it's just beautiful to me. And I had been to New York uh, many, many times until I got this opportunity that I, uh, I went to the top of Rockefeller Center, went to the top of 30 Rock. And it's one of those spots where you can see the entire city. And I remember going up there, and this is a city I knew right? This is a city I had walked around multiple times, and I got up there, and seeing the entirety of the skyline from that view, seeing how big these buildings are, seeing how far it stretches out, seeing how big and beautiful Central Park is for something that I knew, for something that I had experienced, I stopped and went, whoa, this is bigger. When it comes to living a life that's filled with gratitude. Gratitude is built on a foundation of being blessed. And so if we're truly going to live out this charge that Paul gives us, it's essential that we have a bigger view of what it means to be blessed. Because that word is a religious word, isn't it? It's not a word that we tend to hear that often outside of a religious context. And so we use it a lot in church, but we need to understand what's our starting point. So as I often do, let me just ask you rhetorically, when you think of the word blessed, when you think of the word blessing, being blessed, that concept, what do you think of? How do you define that? Are there any experiences that come to mind? How would you explain that to another person? See, often for many of us, We use that word in the context of our circumstances working out in our favor, right? I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills or pay my mortgage, and money came in or a job came in. Man, that was an amazing blessing. Man, you know what? This relationship had been in significant conflict for a long, long time, and we were able to resolve it. That was a significant blessing. I mean, we were praying for healing over this family member or this friend who was suffering, and they made an amazing work. That was a blessing. Now, hear me very, very clearly. Yes, those were absolutely blessings. I do not want to minimize that or take away from the fact that those are blessings. But what I want to do is I want to take you back a couple weeks ago when we talked about God's will. If you remember, I had asked a similar question. How do you picture, how do you define God's will? And for many of us, the common picture is God's will is what, it's my future plans. It's what guides my future. And I had said then that, yes, that is an aspect of God's God's will. That is an overflow of God's will, but it is not the foundation of God's will. God's will is built on something much bigger. And so taking that concept and bringing it into what it means to be blessed when we receive these gifts, these miracles, those are blessings that are the overflow of a much bigger foundation of what it means to be blessed. And so the best way to define a word is to look at it in a biblical context. How does the Bible define this? And when we open up the Bible and we do a study of the word blessed, we see a couple of things. We see one, 
When people use it towards God, they use it as a sense of praise. God, you have blessed me. Thank you for that. But two, particularly in the New Testament, we see that when God uses it towards his creation, he's talking to, uh, he's talking to his creation within a relational context. One of the most popular examples of the usage of this word is in the beginning of the New Testament. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, there is a section that we call the Beatitudes. And Jesus is teaching in that section, and he says things such as, blessed is the man who is humble, who is righteous, who is merciful. He goes on and on in a quick sidebar. What Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes and the entire Sermon on the Mount is he's teaching us how to reflect his character. But to reflect God's character, the first step is we need to be right with him. And that's what Jesus does. You can reflect my character when you have been restored into relationship with me. And so when Jesus says, you are blessed, what he's saying is that the Son of God is here to restore your relationship with me so that your state of being is now one that can be marked as being blessed. I like how it's put in your note sheet. Blessed is a state of existence in relationship to God in which a person is blessed from God's perspective even when he or she doesn't feel happy or isn't presently experiencing good fortune. Negative feelings, absence of feelings, or adverse conditions cannot take away the blessedness of those who exist with God. So the truth of what Jesus is saying as he defines this word, as he adds significant importance to this word, is that because Jesus died and rose again from my sins, because he has restored my relationship with God the Father, because now I have hope and eternity and a future because of the work of Jesus, I am blessed. We are blessed and nothing is going to change that. Being blessed is not dependent on our circumstances, but because our circumstances will always change. There are going to be great times. There are going to be awful times. Our being blessed is not affected by that because our circumstances change, but Jesus never will. Amen. See, at Easter, we declare this phrase, he is risen. And I didn't grow up in the church and so I came to understand the use of that at Easter later in life. But what's interesting to me is the fact that we bust out that phrase at Easter, and then when Easter ends, we put it back on the shelf until the next year. But that phrase, he is risen, the truth that that's saying, that's true today, and today's not Easter. That's true tomorrow. That's true the next day and the next and the next. See, what Paul is reminding us as Christ follower, you are blessed because he rose. You are blessed because he is alive. You are blessed because like he declared on the cross, it is finished and nothing is ever going to change that. Therefore, we give thanks because we are blessed, meaning we are now in right relationship with our king. Now, within that, let's acknowledge an honest question that, we asked, that I asked a little bit earlier. What about in those times that are just filled with trial and hardship? To put it bluntly, I think we'd all admit there are times in life just absolutely sucks. How do we show gratitude in those times? How do we show gratitude in those times when 
the money didn't come in? How do we show gratitude in those times when the physical healing didn't occur? How do we show gratitude in those times when the relationship is broken and lost? How do we show gratitude in those times where all we feel is pain and hurt? See, the apostle calls us to live a life of thankfulness because as long as we're in this world and as long as there's still sin in this world, there are going to be storms. And what he's reminding us is that in those storms, we need to remember that we are blessed through the work of Jesus to be our anchor to weather those storms. See, I think about it in my own life. There are many times in my life where I've asked the questions that many of us have asked. I've asked the how questions. How are we going to get through this? How are we going to see tomorrow? I've asked the why questions. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to this person I care about so much? Why does it feel like God forgot me here? And what Paul is telling us through his teaching on gratitude is there's going to be times in life when we don't have an answer to the how. There's going to be times in life where we don't have an answer to the why. But it's in those times where we can lean deeply into the who that is with us. And that is Jesus. Because regardless of what I see, the storm in front of me, he is risen, he is king, and he has not abandoned you. About a decade, over a decade ago now, I remember I was visiting a friend of mine out of state and I was at their church and their worship team sang a song called Blessed Be Your Name by a worship leader named Matt Redman. And I want to share some of these lyrics. I'm not going to sing them because that would be offensive to Matt Redman, but <laughs> in a song he says this, Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. And then later on in the song, he quotes Job. And he says, God, you give and you take away. You give and you take away. Yet my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You know what was interesting to me when I first heard that song? Was I remember walking out of that service and talking to people about what we had experienced in that song. And I remember the reaction was, yeah, that song they sing, I don't like it. <laughs> and they're like, well, why don't you like it? I'm like, well, like, it's a cool medley and the words that they're saying is cool, but why do they put all that bummer stuff in it? I feel like the song would be a lot better if it didn't have, like, the bummer stuff. If it didn't talk about, like, let's just focus on happiness. Let's not focus on the fact that, you know, there's bad times in life. And basically, let's not focus on real life. But you know what was interesting is I couldn't get that song out of my head. It was haunting. I couldn't get it over and over. And this was the time before we as a church had started doing it. So I had to track it. I didn't remember what it was called. I had to try to track it down. I remember when I finally did, I just kept listening to it over and over and over again. And the Lord used it as a turning point, like a switch going on in my life that as I kept saying over and over again, it painted a much clearer picture of what Paul is talking about in our passage. That in good times and in bad, because of what Jesus has already done in my life, I am blessed Hear me, hear me clearly. There are some of you here today that you are riding high and life is awesome and that is truly a gift and you 
are blessed. There's some of you here today, the things are just fine. (laughs) Nothing to be particularly excited about, nothing to be particularly bummed about. But know that you are blessed. Some of you here today, that life seems like it's a massive tragedy right now and for good reason. And hear me, you are blessed because of what Jesus has already done. I like how Louis Giglio, one of my favorite preachers, puts it there on your note sheet. When we can't tell what God is up to and we can't see him working around in our circumstances, we can still praise him simply for who we know him to be. Even if God never does another thing for us, should we cease to worship? Of course not. Not when we remember all that he's already done through the gift of his son. Now that's crazy awesome right there. But what stops me in my tracks a little bit is that phrase, even if God never does another thing for us, should we cease to worship? And that is very true. But you know what blows my mind about that? The Lord has not ceased to work on our behalf. The Lord, on the foundation of what he did through his death and resurrection, continues to bless his creation, continues to give us things, continues to take care of us, and continues to remind us that even if our circumstances say the opposite, we are blessed because of what Jesus has already done. And so as we wrap up our service time, What I want to do is I want to reflect on this and I want to ask you two questions as we do this. Because if we're going to live intentionally, we need to be constantly doing checkups of ourselves and seeing where are we at. And so the first question is this, what keeps you from giving thanks? Is there something in your life right now that's acting as a roadblock? Is there something in your life that is sapping your gratitude? Is it an external issue? Is it a circumstance, a trial, or a hardship? Is it an internal issue where that's changed my attitude, that's, changed, that's led me down the curmudgeon path, or sin has taken a hold of my life and I kept choosing that? Often the external and the internal seem to go hand in hand. But where are you? What is your starting point? Now, something that I've said often from here before is the reason we ask you where you're starting from is not so that God or anybody else could rub your face into the mud. But the reality is when we're honest about where we're starting, that's when the Lord does work. One of my favorite accounts in Scripture in the Old Testament is the account of King Hezekiah. He was a young king and one of the few good kings that took, that, that took over at the time of the divided kingdom. And the very first thing that he decided to do was restore worship to the one true God. See, he knew that my rule, he knew that this kingdom, none of this would stand, nothing is going to mean anything if we are not focused on worshiping and giving thanks to God. And so what he did is he walked down to the temple, the temple that had been built for the worship of God, but now had become the the home of idols. And I like to picture that he dramatically opened the door, but I don't know if he actually did it that way. But what Hezekiah does at the beginning of his reign is that he removes all the idols, he removes all the roadblocks that kept people from worshiping God, and he restored worship. See, again, when we're honest about where we're starting, when we're honest and sit there and go, man, this attitude, this circumstance, this is keeping me from giving thanks, that's when the Lord comes in and cleans the temple, which is our lives. So what's your starting point? Now, the second question related to that is from there, how are you expressing your gratitude? 
This whole second half of Ephesians can be summed up in one phrase. What are you going to do about it? I always have this picture of Paul, just big smile. Christ followers, God is awesome. What are you going to do about it? Because that's what we're called to do. See, when we take, when we take action, when we express gratitude in our actions, then we're acknowledging that, Jesus, that we have reason to be thankful for in Jesus. And so what are you going to do to express your gratitude? I came to Jesus, I gave my life to Jesus later in my teen years. And I remember when I was first learning about this concept of gratitude, that I had a high school teacher that blew my mind about this. He was sharing with me, he was sharing with the class, how he doesn't get out of bed every day until he has genuinely given thanks to Jesus for what he did on the cross for him. And I remember that blew my mind because I'm like, wait a minute, you're thanking God on a day that's not Christmas and Easter? You're thanking God in a place that's not a defined church or something like that? I remember sitting there young in my faith going, you can do that? That's cool. And that was a turning point for me. And so Christ followers, what are you going to do to express your gratitude towards Jesus? And this looks differently for different people. Maybe for some of you, the way you're going to express your gratitude is by spending time with Jesus himself to remind yourself why we have reason to give thanks. Maybe the way you express gratitude is by spending time in his word or by spending time in communication with him or by spending time in community, in life groups or showing up to service. Maybe spending time journaling by getting away and just walking and praying around your block or at the beach, wherever it might be. Maybe that's how you express gratitude, by spending time with the one who is your reason to be thankful for. Maybe the way you express your gratitude is by having that be a reflection in your relationships here. Maybe being a thankful person has an impact on the way you parent. Maybe that has an impact on your coworkers. Maybe that has an impact on your friends or your significant others. Maybe that has an impact on those people that you can't stand. Maybe that has an impact on your neighbors or the barista at Starbucks, whoever it may be. Let's start thinking of how do we show our gratitude for Jesus in the way we interact with other people. A third way we show our gratitude is singing, is worship. I mentioned before, God bless the fact that we don't have to be good at singing to be able to worship. You want to know a secret about how we do church? We turn up the music loud enough so, you can't, so other people can't hear you so you can just belt it. <laughs> There's something about music that's just powerful, isn't it? Of any kind. And that's what makes a time of worship so powerful is that we can sing, but we can also reflect. See, as we transition out of this time of teaching, what I want to do is I want to give us this opportunity to reflect on the reason why we, have, on the reason why we can give thanks. So I love music. I love worship music. But admittedly, something I'm not that into are hymns. I have a lot of respect for classic hymns, but it's not something that um, has ever really clicked with me. But there are a few that really do stand out. And one of those hymns that stands out with me is one of those classic hymns called It Is Well With My Soul. And if you've ever actually read the actual lyrics to it, it reads really rough. It's a hard hymn to actually read through. But what's powerful to me about this hymn isn't necessarily the hymn itself, but it's the story behind the hymn. See, the gentleman that wrote this back in the 1800s loved Jesus and was financially very well off and in the great Chicago fire lost everything. And so 
for a new opportunity, he was going to move his wife and his four daughters overseas. And so he got held up by something, so he put them on a boat and said, I would catch up. And tragedy hit, and that boat sank. And historically, very famously, his wife survived and sent him a telegram that said something akin to only survivor. He lost all four of his daughters. After that, he wrote a song that acknowledged that he was blessed by the work of Jesus. After that, he wrote a song where over and over again, he says the phrase, it is well with my soul. And why is it well with his soul? Because of what Jesus has already done. Recently, I came across what I would call a modern retelling of this hymn. A modern worship band took this classic hymn and made it their own, put it in contemporary language, and I truly love it. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to give us an opportunity to be able to reflect on that as the band sings that over us. And so what I want to ask you as we go into this time of reflection is where are you at in your journey when it comes to gratitude? Is there anything that's holding you back from giving thanks to Jesus? Are there any areas where maybe you fall into the curmudgeon status? What does the Lord want to speak to you or teach you or to share with you today? Hey, maybe as we go into this time of reflection, this is going to be a time for you to just sit and listen. Maybe you need to close your eyes and just reflect on the fact that Jesus has made it well. Maybe this needs to be a time where you need to sit and just read the words and again reflect on the fact that because of the cross, it is well. Maybe this needs to be a time where you need to stand up, even if nobody else is, just need to belt it because you're filled up and going, yes, I am blessed, it is well. But regardless of where you're at, let this be a time where as a church, this is our declaration that because of what Jesus has done, we are declaring that it is well with our souls. Let's pray. Father, we used to be a rebellious race. Father, we should have been destroyed. That's where the choices we made left. But what did we get instead? We got grace. We got your son. We got salvation, hope, future, and a purpose. Jesus, because of that, we can say it is well with our souls. Father, there's some of us here today that being able to declare that is easy. There's some of us that admittedly is going to be a challenge. I pray that as we go into this time that you remind us, Jesus, that we have the ultimate reason to be thankful, that we live in your blessing. Father, teach us genuinely to declare that it is well with our souls. So Christ followers, it's simple. We are a blessed people. And so as we leave this place today, let us be a people who are experiencing that truth more and more in our lives. Let that be a truth that is overflowing into our attitudes and our actions so that we be a people, as Paul asked us to, that are displaying gratitude. Amen? Hey, if you'd like to uh, pray with somebody before you leave uh, this morning, over to my right along that wall, there's some amazing men and women as part of our prayer ministry. They're the ones wearing the badges over there. They would love to be praying with you. Uh, They'd love to pray with you before you leave. Um, I say this every time I'm up here because it's true. You got to come back next week because it's going to be awesome. Mike's going to be finishing this focus we've been in, and he's going to be talking about the next characteristic of living a life that's drinking deeply, and it's a unique one. It's the word submission. 
Now that word is defined very differently by different people. That word raises a different range of emotions through different people. So you gotta be here because it's gonna get spicy. So we wanna make sure, we're gonna take a look at biblically, what does that look like? What does that word even mean? So we'll see you then.